Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Attendance Bias. I am your host, Brian Weinstein. You know, if you're anything like me, you absolutely need a cup of coffee to start your day. If you're anything like me, you also like to support small businesses. And if you're really anything like me, you like to especially support small businesses run by fish fans. And that leads us to today's guest and today's show, Josh Millman, a fan who is the owner and founder of Passion House Coffee out of Chicago. As you'll hear me say in just a minute, I was turned on to Passion House Coffee by an unsolicited mention of it by a friend of the pod, RJB, on the Helping Friendly podcast. I'm always in the market for new coffee, and when I heard RJ mention Passion House, I immediately checked out the website and ordered two pounds of Passion House coffee for myself and two pounds as a Christmas gift for friends of mine. After it arrived and I had my first cup, I wanted to speak with Josh about Passion House immediately. I also wanted to talk about coffee in general, and of course, about fish. For today's episode, Josh picked Fish's show at Deer Creek Amphitheater on August 13th, 1996. That show was the second of two nights at Deer Creek leading up to the Clifford Ball. Summer 1996 has been an underrepresented tour on attendance bias, so I was super excited to listen and dig into this show and this era overall. So let's join Josh to talk about why 1996 stands up to any other year in 1.0, how weird it could be to ask a small-town sheriff for directions to your hotel when you miss an exit after your show, and how a Big Mike song can last forever as we discuss Fish's performance at Deer Creek on August 13th, 1996. Josh, welcome to Attendance Bias. Thank you for being here. Thanks, man. I'm super stoked. I appreciate you just taking the time to invite me and, you know, chat about everything that we love. All of fish course. and whatnot. Yeah, fish and coffee. The The first time I heard about you and Passion House Coffee was I tuned into the Helping Friendly podcast with our mutual acquaintance, RJB. And when they were going around at the very beginning, RJB held up a mug and he said, this isn't a paid sponsor, just a, a friend of mine. And I just want to put in a plug for Passion House Coffee. The owner, Josh, is a fan and he brews great coffee. And my ears immediately perked up because I love coffee. And we'll get into that in just a minute. And I thought, number one, I always like trying new coffee. And number two, I want to support fan started businesses and small businesses, of course. So I went on your website, looked you up, immediately ordered two pounds for myself, two pounds for a friend. And then I said, I want to talk to this guy. You know, it's not just about fish, but about coffee. So excited to get going. And the show that you picked, August 13th, 1996 at Deer Creek, I also am excited to talk about for a number of reasons, and we'll get there. But enough for me. Josh, tell us a little bit about Passion House Coffee, where people can find it, what about it makes it special. You have the floor. Yeah, thanks, man. Well, first, I should thank RJ. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. RJ didn't have to do that. Uh, I sent him a little note, and I was super grateful. And anytime, you know, people, you know, share anything about Passion House, I'm just, you know, so grateful for that. So coffee, I, I, I've been in coffee since I was 16. Um, and not to age myself, well, I sort of am, I guess, with the show from 96. But I've been in coffee for over 20 years. I was really into the beat generation. And they were always in coffee shops discussing life and pushing boundaries. And I was like, yo, I got to be in a setting like that. And so a company you may have heard of called Starbucks uh, oh, had, just, so. yeah. <laughs> had just opened in uh, our home uh, near my hometown called Glenview in Chicago. And I got a job there. And I just like absolutely love being of service. Uh, I, I can't even explain it, but it just it's all uh, every part of me. I love being of service. I was always trying to. Uh, you know, make the best lattes. And, and, and I also love that I had the opportunity to um, have a positive influence on the people's, their mornings and their whole days. And I, that, that to me, was such an honor. You know, you have the ability to positively affect someone's morning and throughout their whole day. And on the other side, you know, when they come home from a long day of work and they have to go see their family and whatnot, you know, I have the, I had the opportunity to also like, cheer them back up and it's ready to get home and, you know, be with the kids and family. And so I think just uh, affording that opportunity, it, it just all fit together for me. 
And so what started off as being a service then, you know, slowly turned into um, a culinary art. After high school, I moved out to Colorado, Fort Collins, went to CSU for fun. Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> And worked in some coffee shops there. And then from there, I moved out to San Diego and really dove into specialty coffee. And I helped open a cafe uh, in downtown San Diego. I was kind of a coffee nerd. And I was really fortunate. My boss at that time also serviced a bunch of espresso machines and brewers and whatnot. And while in the cafe, I'd always be like, hey, man, why won't the coffee? Like, how do I get the coffee to do that? Why isn't the machine doing this? How do I get it to do that? And I think he just like got really annoyed with me. Like. <laughs> And I was like, here, man, just you could work part time at the cafe and then part time at the shop. So then I learned to service all the equipment. And then from there, I got recruited by a roaster and started roasting coffee. And I think once I learned about roasting, I mean, it just like I've learned almost every facet of the industry except farming. And it just blew my mind, like how I could influence the way the coffee can taste from uh, roasting it and then to brewing it. And it just like I knew that. I, this is, I'm committed to this. I'm super fortunate to be able to found something that I absolutely love at a young age. There's no money in coffee, but <laughs> I am Starbucks. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, I am just, you know, really fortunate. And, and, you know, Monday comes around and I'm just like, yes, yo, I get to go back to work. I'm stoked. And, th- and that's just priceless. And then I saw, I started Passion House 11 years ago. Uh, you can get us on our website, passionhousecoffee.com. We're also doing a code just for the attendance bias listeners, <laughs> just for y'all. This is uh, my first sponsor. I've never hey! been able to get a discount code. You know, I, I don't do Squarespace. This is just me in my apartment. So I'm going to shut up. This is I'm. This is a monument. This is a big deal. All Passion right. House Coffee. What's the discount code, Josh? So the discount code is Boltron. That's like my Voltron crew. You know, we all live different parts of the country, but when we get together at the fish shows, it's like we're all connected and back together. And these these guys are like, this is family with a pH. And, you know, you dream about having friends like this. You never thought you could. But like, man, I'm just so grateful for these guys. So do use the Voltron code at passionhousecoffee.com and you'll get free shipping. And so just to keep going on with the story and I'll try to wrap it up. I know you guys don't want to just hear about, you know, passion house coffee. Um, I just want to make sure, sorry to cut you off. It's V as in Victor, V O L T R O N. That's correct. Um, So I started passion house 11 years ago. Um, Super fun fact. I got my first order the day my daughter was born. I actually left the hospital, went to go roast the coffee, (laughs) fill the order, and then came back to the hospital. You know, my wife was like, yeah, you're really going to leave right now? It's like, this is an omen, man. we got to keep it going. And really, ultimately, like, you know, what our mission and our vision is, is really just, you know, showing that the world's a small place, that we have the ability to take care of one another. You know, our goal is that we want people feeling happier and full of love more than they were before experiencing Passion House. We roast some amazing coffees. You know, I, I roasted tens of thousands of batches. There's a crap. It takes a long time to become a master at your trade, at your craft. And I bring that with everything into my employees, into the into the business. And and I really feel like, you know, if you love coffee, you should give us a try. <laughs> I do genuinely enjoy this coffee. That's not blowing smoke. You know, I wouldn't be interested to speak with you on a certain level if I didn't. You know what I mean? It's not just lip service. But again, like I said, I'll attest to it later. Passion House, you have brick and mortar cafes, right? Yeah. If you're in Chicago, yeah, we have two cafes and a third one on the way. So we have one cafe in Logan Square, another cafe on um, the actual island of Goose Island, the only island in Chicago. Um, And then our roastery is in this place called East Garfield Park. What is it about Chicago, do you think, that nurtures this? Like, how did you end up there and why did you stay there? (laughs) You know, as, as far as Chicago goes, that's a blue collar town, man. You know what I mean? People just want their coffee. And, you know, our goal is to meet people where they are and then also like kind of, you know, elevate what uh, what coffee can be and show them and, and share with them the um, the incredible flavors that are possible. I'm glad you brought that up because the two blends that I bought on your website were Darkest Side of the Moon, which I'm working my way through right now. And I've already finished the pound of Night Moves coffee. No, and 
Well, I love them. I love bold flavors and I love dark roasts. Occasionally I'll go for a medium roast, like in the afternoon, like sometimes after work. And as a teacher, I get out of work pretty early. So if I want an afternoon cup, I'm not going very bold. I want something just I can enjoy for about an hour in the middle of the day. But I also get started early. You know, I'm up at 545 in the morning and I, I need something bold for my drive, my commute. To me, it's just like, I know what I like. I know what I don't like. And that's the end of it. I don't like to get so serious about something. And then when, except fish, I guess. But when I drank, when I drank Night Moves, I really could taste the tasting notes. It's on the back end of the sip, though. It wasn't like so upfront and bold. On the, on the label, there were a number of tasting notes. But the one that stuck out to me was dark chocolate. And I didn't expect it because I've never been able to taste those notes when I drink wine and it has all these like Oak and this and grapefruit and citrus. I'm like, it tastes like grapes, man. Like that's, that's what wine tastes like to me. But when I tasted night moves, I tasted dark chocolate at the end. And I said, this guy knows what he's doing. It felt really good. It felt like I did something better, even though I just drank it. <laughs> well, listen, I appreciate it. And that's part of the stuff is, uh, you know, we source really good coffee and it's the way we roast it. And as far as like tasty notes go, not curing cancer or anything like that, man, it's coffee. Coffee should be fun. What you've seen already with um, Night Moves and Darkest Side of the Moon is everything we do is connects to, to music and love. So like if you see the mural at our warehouse, it basically is this beautiful mural from uh, this amazing artist, Emmy Star Brown from Chicago, if you have a chance to check her out. And it says coffee, love music. Uh, and that is like everything that entails pretty much my life. You know, just to give you an example, we kind of put tasty notes in it, but really we name our coffees after different songs or characters and songs just to keep us laughing and amused. And, and, and it's more like pros on the label versus, you know, you'll see a lot of coffee roasters that will have the farm name, the altitude, the meters, the, you know, all this information, which, you know, is great information and super important to me. But to the average buyer, you know, they don't really know what it means if coffee is growing at 1,800 meters, which is a high-grown coffee and it's great. But for us, we, we use funny names. So like one of our names is um, Millie Grace. And I actually should, I don't have Millie Grace right now, but we should be releasing it. Um, I know it was and, sold out when I checked. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Millie Grace, I, you know, I, I come up with all the names and I knew I had a coffee from Peru. And I'm like, okay, I got to think of a name. I got to think of a name. Nothing was coming to me. And I actually happened to be in Colorado and I was uh, actually running outside listening to Fee. And it was, you know, Fee first met Millie in a bar in Peru. And I was like, oh, geez, there you go. Millie Grace. That's perfect. It's a coffee from Peru. You know, so, and, and, and we just like to have fun with it. Uh, you know, coffee and music, like, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier, you know, what role does uh, music play in my life versus coffee. And it's really just like synonymous. So for me, coffee is music. You can't really have one without the other. You know, there's sound in everything we do from, you know, we have this old German roaster from 1957 that's fully cast iron <clears throat> that has like a little motor and belts. But I mean, this is one of the best coffee roasters you can get. But like even hearing those belts and and the, the drum turning, it's like... So like everything we do is, is it ties in together. Yeah. There's rhythm everywhere. Yeah. Rhythm as a dancer. <laughs> Soft romancer. <laughs> Shout out. Uh, so the, the last thing I'd like to ask you about your coffee, if there's someone who just likes a typical cup of coffee, they go to Dunkin' Donuts or they go to Starbucks on their way to work every day. Cause I know a lot of people like that. They just take it as a given. What's a blend or a coffee that you have on your website that could be kind of an intro blend for people who aren't into gourmet or independent coffee? What's something that can be safe, but flavorful, a little bit new? Yeah, sure. So like, we break our coffee down in genres. We have ambient, <laughs> mainstream, and experimentals. So our ambient, Just like fish. <laughs> yeah, our ambient genres inspired by like Brian Eno and whatnot. They're like super comforting, very approachable, very familiar. So if you want something is like what you're talking about, you know, you can buy mo any coffee really in the ambient genre like our Chicago house blend is just like you know my version of diner coffee, just elevated, just super chuggable that you can drink morning through evening. Um, the mainstream coffees, 
you know, those are like your pop hits of the day. They're here and they're gone. They're all in season, uh, single origin coffees that tend to be a little more complex than like the ambience, but like still like really familiar. Like I have this coffee right now that's um, Buenas Tardes, named after the Ween song. That is like fall in a cup. It's got baking spice. It's got a little bit of like cherry and, and super sweet. So, you know, then when you get to like our uh, experimental coffees, those are like, yo, let's get wild. Let's get crazy. These are bright, fruity, floral coffees. Uh, and, and those those you may want to ease into. But those are my favorite. If you have if you ask, I love the bright, fruity, floral coffees. That's my jam. Do you have any sort of subscription service? Because that's how I get my coffee. Yeah, of course. So we have a, yeah. yeah so we have a, a coffee subscription service that is weekly, biweekly, and monthly. So you can like choose how often you want it. And then we have our ambient subscription. So if you like those kind of darker, more familiar coffees, you'll just get a rotation of those. But if you want to expand, then you can go into our roasters uh, choice, which we send you different coffees every whatever time frame you chose. That'll be coffees from El Salvador, Kenya, uh, Ethiopia, uh, Guatemala. So yeah, our subscriptions are great. I love them. So Josh, we know about Passion House. We know about your background, but now it's time to hear about your fish experience. We're going to start with the attendance bias lightning round. Let's do it. You ready? Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. I don't know what I'm getting myself into. Uh, I'm working on getting uh, lightning bolt sound effects. (laughs) Attendance bias lightning round. So when was your first fish show? Uh, June 18th, 1994. Uh, that was at UIC Pavilion. Man, that was my first show. I think I was like 15 years old. And uh, I mean, I don't know if y'all have ever checked out that set list. I think whatever. They have the Chicago uh, box set of uh, that show. And I think um, the show, the November, the uh, Thanksgiving show as well, later that year. I mean, those were my two first shows. I mean, I don't Jesus, think there's nothing more to say. Oh, yeah. That peak in that second set. Woo! That <laughs> mind left body, right? Uh, yeah, the mind left body, yeah. Oh, it was amazing. You know, I had gone um, uh, the, to those two fish shows and then I went to Jerry's uh, Garcia's last show. And it was like, you know, that like I was super fortunate to see Jerry's last show. I mean, the dead were huge. And I was like, you know, in this sky, like skyscraper smoking weed with like, you know, 60 year old people. And I was like, wow, like, you know what? I think I'm going to go back over here where it's a little bit smaller and quaint. So it, it, that was a really interesting, like, first three shows to uh, compare. So, What's your most recent fish show? Uh, I did that Halloween run. Uh, I went to the first three shows and jumped out before the Halloween show, which is, like, usually my style. I mean, what a little run that was. And uh, even, I mean, that whole, like, summer tour and that fall tour, I mean, geez, man, with those bo- the band was on fire. Your favorite indoor venue and then your favorite outdoor venue? For indoor venue, you know, I got to go with my hometown, UIC. I saw, like, just way too many good shows there. You know, the band loves Chicago. I don't, you know, I don't know why. I mean, I love Chicago, too, but uh, they <laughs> obviously love it. Bill Graham is great. I mean, there's a lot of great, like, you know, everyone talks about the smaller hockey indoor, you know, stadiums, and those are awesome, obviously. The Gorge and Red Rocks, absolutely great places. But for a little, like, a sneaker one, or I don't know if it's so much sneaker, but I love Blossom. I love the design of Blossom. I love the acoustics at Blossom, the rolling hills over there. I just, I, I love that venue. If you had to pick one in a calendar year, you could only go to one and you couldn't go to the other two. Would you go to the summer tour, the fall tour, or the New Year's Eve run? Well, I mean, now that you're asking me and I'm, you know, in my 40s, you know, the New Year's runs and the Halloween runs, it's a little too much for me. Uh, get out of here. You know, I live uh, in I'm old. I'm old. Why Come on. Uh, I like to jump into like the 28th and 29th and then get out of there. With COVID, I like summer. Anything that's small and quaint as much as possible these days, and you know. Plus, I like being warm, man. I hate being cold. <laughs> That's true, too, especially in Chicago. Yeah, Chicago sucks, man. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite fish year overall, whether it's to listen to on tape or or that you've seen in person? Either way. I, obviously, I love 95. 
you know, I think the thing is, is that like when I was what 15, 14 years old in 94 and seeing shows at 95, I was 16. I was definitely like always out of place. I didn't like, at least like growing up, I never felt like I really fit in. So like when I found the fish community, I mean, I literally, when I say like, music and and the, and the band and the community saved my life. It absolutely did. I, I was not like connecting with people at all. And so like the whole 97 through, you know, most of 99 is amazing. I love 97, the funk, uh, 98 was great, you know, by the, the end of 99. And I think, uh, that things just got a little out of hand and a little out of control. And uh, the scene was just, just so big. So I would say 95, we used to go to this head shop in Evanston called the parking lot and just sit there for hours and hours. And they had the, a ton of tapes that we just record and record and take. I mean, you know, back in the day, it was like you had to like put your time in. Yeah. Uh, and I think that just having that experience is just so humbling and grateful that, you know, to be honest, these days, you know, obviously I love the band and, and they're doing great. But like, I get to hang out with my friends. The band now is just icing on the cake, you know? <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Like, it's the fact that, you know, I get to meet up with my crew. I get to meet up with Rich or Eddie, all, all my guys, Brendan and all them. And like, that's the best part is like that coming together. So, you know, we're, we were um, definitely fortunate to be around and uh, uh, I guess alive during that time. <laughs> what is the weirdest thing you've ever seen at a fish show? Oh, man, I love I love this question. Well, people putting tarps down. I think that's a little weird. You, it, it not used to be that way. Uh, and I used to, we used to ride the rail all the time, especially when it was like, you know, love or hate a man. Greg was up there and everyone else. So, you know, that was, that was a trip. A lot of my friends got peed on, which what? is like, yeah. And, and it kind of uh, like, they got peed on at different shows. Which is like, you know, at least it makes me like, I understand now why they asked me to pee on them. So they feel like they're an official, but like, <laughs> that's kind of, that's a little odd. And what I love, uh, one of my buddy Risher, I think he said he saw a uh, half naked man fighting a unicorn at one show. So was Richard yeah. all right? I, I told Richard, I wish I had a video of that, man. That would have been awesome. I wish I had whatever Richard had. When was this show played? Let's take a look back at Fish in 1996 and the context in which today's show, August 13th, 96 at Deer Creek, was played. Originally, and I used to be a victim of this, I used to generalize, and I used to call 1996 an in-between year because in 1995, there was like exponential growth. They were making the leap from the last theaters that they were playing to and almost exclusively arena rock band. And then 97, they were established to playing these, like they were on whatever the big arena near you or the big summer shed near you, Fish was now on that roster as opposed to the theater near you. And so 95 had like growth and experimentalism. 97 has the cow funk. And 96 was kind of them finding one or the other. When you think of what were some of the best shows that Fish played in 1996, it's like a murderer's row. There are a lot of all-time great Fish shows in that calendar year. It's like impossible to deny it as one of the best 1.0 years. And that's saying something. Of course, it's my opinion. You talk about starting right away. They played that uh, third ball, the secret show in Bearsville, or maybe it was Woodstock, New York, which is available on soundboard. There's uh, their European tour, that really bizarre show in Amsterdam, which was covered on this podcast. Do you know that one I'm talking about? Oh yeah. Where there's like that kind of third set. Yeah. Kind (laughs) of. Yeah. There's the Vegas run in December. Oh yeah which is unreal. The Clifford ball, obviously. Of course. You know, Man, the New, New Year's head. at the Fleet Center where they yep. did the Bohemian Rhapsody with a choir and the largest ball drop of all time. Yep. I mean, and that's just off the top of my head. I didn't even research it that much. <laughs> and today's show was the penultimate show, the second to last before the Clifford ball. So after this Deer Creek show, there was just Hershey. 
before everyone went up to Plattsburgh for that first large scale fish festival. Before this show, there were four at Red Rocks, one night at Alpine Valley, and then there was this second of two nights at Deer Creek. So those are pretty legendary fish venues of a summer tour, like things that we take for granted now. But at the time, they weren't new, but it was like, okay, we're regulars here now. What were yeah, you? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, in '95, in '95, they only played one night at Deer Creek. You know what I mean? And so, which has like now, a limited, unlimited capacity, right? Yeah, I've never been there. Yeah. No, it's it's a it's a it's a great venue. What were your memories in the summer of '96? Like, where were you, and where were you in the world of fish? I guess a sophomore in high school, going into my junior year um, at Glenbrook North University. I had just recently started dating my girlfriend, who is now my wife. Part of the reason why, yeah, high school sweethearts. A lot of. Uh, <laughs> ups and downs, but man, you know, she's an amazing person. I'm super lucky. 96 was like, you know, it, it was like, how much fish can I see? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> begged my parents to go to Europe and try to hit a Clifford ball. Uh, it was a little more challenging at that time. We had four shows from that tour that I went to. For me, I love the Letter M show where John Popper came out. And they played uh, Mean Mr. Mustard. Me and Mr. Mustard, man, we're all like, who's that dude? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, when he dropped that coat, man, it was that place went off. I have really funny, funny memories of that show because I randomly, one of my good friends who I don't even know if I was, he was going, ended up sitting two rows behind me. We took a bunch of boomers that show and we ended up, we bought a, a, a pipe uh, on the lot and the pipe had the letter M on it. We were just like uh, we didn't think, oh we didn't think anything of it at all only at fish yeah uh, had the letter M on it <laughs> and, and then <laughs> we were after the show we we're going back to I don't know remember the Cano Lodge we used to of stay course. at the Cano Lodges when we were driving back we kept missing the exit for our hotel so we either went too far or too long or too short and we had to pull over into this like I mean you know. There's nothing around there at this little teeny gas station. Uh, there was like the sheriff and like two of the employees playing cards in there. And everyone made me go ask them how to, how to, how to find out where our hotel was all tripping and stuff. Uh, you know, Nightmare you had, scenario. Oh man. You had Detroit assembly hall. I mean that Halloween show in Atlanta. I mean, 96 was a good year, man. I'm sticking up for 96. So what about this show, August 13th, 96? Why do you have attendance bias toward it? Now, this is my girlfriend, wife, now wife. Um, it's, this, is, this is her birthday show. This is like her first birthday show. This is probably, I can't totally, I think this was the second show we've been together. Um, and, and what a birthday show that was. Riding the rail. I was like, you know, when I was younger, I was like, I don't know what was going through my mind, but I used to always like run around and throw stuff up on stage and stuff. I think in 96, I don't know. I can't even remember why. I have a terrible memory. I wish I did. I was like throwing cabbage patches on stage at each show, which was like, <laughs> I, uh, I wish I could remember. I vividly remember riding the rail with her vividly when uh, Waste came on and just us like just that was that was our jam together. At the end of the show, we were just, you know, spent and waiting for everyone to leave. And I, and I also remember my wife being like, oh. They're playing Patsy Klein. And then I learned who Patsy Klein was. I oh, mean, what a gift. Yeah, it was great. It was awesome. So, yeah, this is why my uh, I have a bias towards uh, 81396. Set one. Set one opens with Divided Sky, and it is always a good sign. Oh, yeah. This night was just bustling. I mean, that first night. The first night, if you, if you you should listen to the first night. I mean, that first night was like pretty, pretty awesome. That was pretty top notch. And so we knew coming in, like, man, it's going to be hot. <laughs> you could tell that Paul Languedoc was figuring out the sound levels at Deer Creek because, like I said, I haven't been there, but it seems like a huge venue. Yeah, it's pretty big. I mean... You know, the floor is quaint. And then, you know, if you're in the right seats, obviously, just like any venue, 
I mean, just just sounds great. You know what I mean? But when you're like up front, you know, everything just like, you know, it's amazing. Where were you? <laughs> Riding the rail up front, bro. Avi. That's where I was. That's where I spent a lot of time up there. That's why my girlfriend or my wife hated going to shows with me most of the time. Cause I'd be like, uh, all right, I'll see you later. Boom. And I just <laughs> up front. And she married uh, you anyway. I know she still hates going to shows with me. <laughs> the anxiety. At, but <laughs> at the end, shows. at the end of this divided sky, the energy is just pushing, pushing, pushing. What a great version of this song. And this is right at the beginning. So they followed up with Tube, which they hadn't quite cracked yet. They were about 12 months from making Tube the jam monster that we all hope that it is every time they play it these days. But this is a very straightforward, compact, four-minute version that is very fun, nonetheless. And then they open it wide open with Tila, which is a song I am still chasing. I still haven't heard it in, I think, 20 four years of seeing the band wow you're destined to get it one day buddy and at this point it seems like something special is already going on between that really energetic divided sky and now busting out tila yeah listen you know Paige had a night you know yeah he sounds wonderful and i absolutely love love Paige. my daughter's middle name is named after Paige. so you know anytime that Paige gets the shine you know that's a good show <laughs> a really smooth jazz guitar solo and i don't find myself thinking of the phrase smooth jazz when i think about fish that often but it's just such a this song is such a great contrast to how they open the show with divided sky and tube and maybe i'm gushing over it because it's tila and it's my white whale it's your white whale man and then there's maze never cease to amaze you well this energy this is about nine minutes long, this version of Maze. And it it might sound silly, but it still, it still grabs me. And at the beginning, though, this is an oxymoron, but it sounds like a fairly low-key maze. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, like, I love the ping pong effect for me. What's and 
the ping pong effect when you hear that. Um, I guess I don't know the best way. I, I call it ping pongs because like when you're like up front and they're starting off maze and literally it sounds like they're playing a video game, ping pongs going back and forth and the way they're dispersing the sound in the left and the right. Like that's like, I absolutely love that in the beginning. It always gets me going. They slow things down after that with fast enough for you, which is a very nice and relatively rare calm down after maze. Yeah. You know, we all need the breather. (laughs) Hey, I love breathers too, man. Their songs too. Me too. And you mentioned Paige earlier uh, with Tila. It was his vocals that caught my attention and fast enough for you. There's a really gorgeous piano solo about two minutes in. And then usual fish bluegrass, which I, I suppose is right for Indiana. Yeah, I mean, listen. Anytime we can get a little bluegrass, then I'm a fan. You know, a good old hold down, which you'll see at the end. Uh, Let me ask you, you know. something culturally, as Uh-oh. as well. No, as you're from Chicago, <laughs> is Deer Creek the outdoor Chicago venue? N- uh, well, no. You know what? What's special about Deer Creek is the dead made Deer Creek. You know what I mean? Um, no, I don't. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, the dead just laid it down at Deer Creek. And, you know, mostly for Chicago, like Alpine Valley, it's only an hour away. And Deer Creek's super close, too. It's like a three and a half hour drive. That's nothing. So, like, you know, we're surrounded by we have Alpine, Deer Creek, and then there's North Island, which is in Chicago. And then you have, obviously, when he played at uh, Wrigley. Right. Right. But they, they love Deer Creek, man. Deer Creek and you, the camping at Deer Creek, you want to get, you want to have some fun. After the old home place, uh, they come up with punch you in the eye, which there's a big gaff right in the beginning, right? Trey starts and the rest of the band has no idea what's going on. <laughs> I love that stuff. You know, like I, I don't, I like, I don't mind when they make mistakes and things like that. I don't even like that does not phase me one bit. And it's just like, you know, these guys are human. You know what I mean? I was right about to say it keeps them human. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying I like sloppy play. No, I, I don't like when everything's perfect. Yeah, it'd be a little rough around the edges. I agree. When you go to a mainstream concert, you know, something that is, a, you know, maybe like a, a 70 date tour and they play one or two shows in every city. I live in New York City. And as you may or may not know, Billy Joel has an ongoing residency at Madison Square Garden, where he plays every month in a non-COVID That's the first world. concert I ever saw, River of Dreams tour, Billy Joel. Me too. <laughs> Me great. too. It was October 12th, 1993 at Madison Square yeah, Garden. It was my mom's birthday. <laughs> and I love Billy Joel. I, I am from Long Island. It is part of my DNA. Fight I mean, me. Who doesn't? But the, that's right. Who doesn't? But my point is, though, he puts on flawless shows because they are rehearsed to the point where you're not allowed to make mistakes. Yeah. And Fish obviously is not that. So when you go to one of those uh, rehearsed shows, it really is a culture shock for guys like us. Yeah. 100%. So when they fuck up, punch you in the eye here and there, it's endearing <laughs> as opposed to infuriating. Right. 100%. And they pick, a great word. But then they pick up after punching the eye with Llama. And this is where the th- thread that stuck out to me, in addition to the great mix, is that there's Game Henge all over this set list. Mm-hmm. Was that apparent mm-hmm. to you in the moment or it was just great times? No, I mean, you had divided Tila. <laughs> then you get into punch you and you're off on your, you know, you're on your way. Right. And Llama. So and, Lama, sorry. <laughs> and these are some of them are non game henge game henge songs, right? Like they're not part of the narration, but they take place yeah. in that world. And it brings the fire right away. I wrote in my notes at two minutes, this is smoking hot. And then at three minutes, a crazy police siren.
yeah that was like uh, i mean that was awesome i like that's what like everything just slows down for a second and you're just like all right <laughs> hold on just <What's>, <laughs> yeah it's like a movie trick time lapse where yeah. there are those special effects where the main character's in the foreground and he's moving at regular speed but everything around him is in yeah. fast forward 100 <laughs> percent. i love that stuff yeah that's llama and it's just a funny um contrast between goofing up and punch you in the eye but maze and llama they're superhuman that that's the one of the great parts is like <laughs> i think it's it's why we keep coming back and it's why you know, like for me i never leave the bathroom i have like an amazing bladder man you never <laughs> know jealous. what's gonna happen you know what i mean you can get just these little things that were just like you know little attention to detail but then you get like just smack you in your face it's it's uh there's nothing like it and the way they close the set is a pair of two of the best songs glide which for me is my favorite song ever and i have this idea that glide anoints a great show oh 100 you know you know if you get your glide you're in you're in good (laughs) it's glide 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 you're a glide of course everyone's arrived everyone's alive and we're (laughs) glad that we're glides all time great with the exception of Coventry, which didn't happen. Right. Well, <laughs> I, I was quit. lucky. After 99, after Big Cypress, I quit the band for 10 years. So like any of that stuff that happened and like I, at 2.0, I don't even know it exists, you know? There's a yeah. lot of good stuff there, just like in 96, a different kind of good. But there's yeah. also a lot of bad stuff there, unlike 96. Yeah, yeah. And to close the set, though, it's really good stuff with Slave to the Traffic Light. Uh, Fish.net has it on the jam charts. They describe it as, quote, a majesty similar to December 30th, 93, due to Paige's piano work. I mean, all night. And, even you know, you'll hear it in the second set, too. I mean, Paige, Paige was in it. That slave just, you know, it's so pretty. <laughs> you know what I mean? a nice closer set two i thought it was funny with set two they open with acdc bag because slave usually closes a second set at least in you know modern fish and acdc bag usually opens the first set so it's a very different setless placement than what we're used to for sure got a lot of acd first set openers in my life 
Do you remember this at all? I mean, there was just there was a ton of energy going on in that whole show. I mean, you know, look at what look. I mean, just listen to the show and what these guys are doing here. You know what I mean? Um, uh, and you know, there's certain you know everyone knows. I shouldn't say everyone knows, but like you know. When you when the band's hot, you got to keep them going. You got to you know you got to invite you got to motivate them and and you got to be into it. And if you are into it, they're gonna give it right back to you. And that's and that's the best, you know. Yeah, you could hear it. You could hear yeah. it toward the middle and end of this ACDC bag. Followed oh. up, and I'm gonna I'll probably stop after this. But another game hench song with the lizards. <laughs> they're gonna play the whole thing after the lizards. To me, this was the jam of the night. 100% man that mics wow yeah what's your what's your reflection on this mic song it was uh an intense groovy i mean they kind of let it all out there when you're talking about like going to the ledge and and, and almost jumping off like this mic song does it 100% it does it like four times <laughs> jumping off the ledge right. yeah, it, it's, there's a part that i absolutely loved it's around 6 minutes where they do this like jamming game that you could hear all over the place in like 93 and 94. Mm -hmm. And I love it. It's like a search. Like sometimes it falls apart, you know, when they first started doing it in 93 and 94, but Holy shit, it holds together like glue. And any second, someone who doesn't like fish would really hate this. Yeah, you know, I love that. I love when when you kind of have those games going on, and you know, and as and and especially you know, as long as you're following it, and when it jumps off and they don't catch it, you're like, ah, you know what I mean. Yeah. But the fact that this was like going and going, and you're just like, man, I'm gonna just you know bow down. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I wrote in my notes the phrase "superhuman goofballs." That, that's why you're the English teacher. Here, <laughs> Interpret that as you will. <laughs> and when they get to the coda, when they do the big power chords, there's this uh-huh. incredible dropout. The whole band drops out and there's this yeah. one note. Do you know the part I'm talking about? Well, hell yeah. yeah. I mean, that's when you can like, yeah. I mean, that was amazing. There's a-
yeah, Trey's ultimate rock star in this what? section. Futuristic, supersonic, beautiful Mike song. Anyone out there, if you have 23 extra minutes today, make it a point. If you could only listen to one track from this whole show, in my opinion, the Mike's is the way to go. Definitely. But then, the, you know, then that drop into Life Boy is pretty good. Too. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, like, maybe you should listen to those two. You know what I mean? Yeah, that Life Boy you, is beautiful. That those that drop in those two. That's you know that's the show. Relatively speaking, I mean, of course, yeah, for sure. Those, if you have one chance, if you have one thing to listen to, listen to those. And they close it, of course, not the set, but the Mike's groove with Beakapog, which is great. Obviously, it's expected, but it's still exciting every time. I still get excited. I love Beakapog, man. Yeah, yeah, you and know, there's Machine Gun Trey makes an appearance. Yeah, of course. Gotta have some. Yep, there's a breakdown. It's still weak apog, but this time with a Wawa pedal and cowbell. So there's like hints and tastes of the cow funk coming, but it's not there yet. So it's still very rock and roll, not quite funk, but the Wawa pedal and cowbell, those are essential components of 97 here in 96. Yeah, you can't have 97 without 96. Well put. I'm putting that on a t-shirt. There you go. I want some royalties. Yeah, yeah, you'll get you'll get a donation to your coffee shop a quarter every time someone buzzes a shirt. <laughs> but it ends in a really strange way. The end of Weekapog ends with Paige on the theremin, and it yeah. segues into somewhere over the rainbow. Hey, listen, when I I was whatever how old I was, sixteen, I had no idea what a theremin was. You know what I mean? So when he steps out with this this thing. And he's moving his hands and making different sounds. I think, you know, it's just like, holy shit, what is that? You know, it may not sound amazing or anything like that. But, you know, this is like them taking a risk and and doing like different stuff. I, I 100% appreciate that. And now, like, whenever I see a theremin, I'm like, ooh, I'm going to go play with the theremin. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah I, I loved it. I love it. I, I mean, it, you won't find me hating much. You know what I mean? And speaking of taking risks, the next mini segment of this show to me is a major risk. You know, this huge venue or at least huge sounding venue, this summer shed, that's a centerpiece of the summer tour right before this gigantic festival. And they decide to set up an acoustic stage. How lucky are we? Yeah. Well, how lucky were you? You know, you you said that it was your song with you and your significant other. Yes. You know, we'll stop saying your then girlfriend, now wife, your girl. Yeah, yeah. my girl. <laughs> girl. My, my lady. My lady. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Waze is so classic. And, you know, we, we even, I have a big, uh, all the words to Waste on a poster that, you know, hangs over our head. I mean, over our bed. And, um, you know, when you get an acoustic and everyone's super quiet, everyone hushes for it. And you just feel so intimate. It just it's such a treat for us to, you know, be able to get that after you have your 20 minute mic song, drop into Life Boy. You know, you got Game Henge left and right in this show, bands having fun. And, and, you know, yeah, talk about risk. I mean, just stop it all and then let's just really get intimate. You know, that just soothes the soul. Yeah. And it sounds so perfect. They really had their work cut out for them in a shed to do this, and they nailed it along with Paul Languedoc, their sound guy. After mm-hmm. Waste is over, Trey says, we're going to play more songs off this album we recorded, you know, mm-hmm. getting ready for the release of Billy Breathes. And they move on to Train Song, which yep. sounds good. Mike might need to fine-tune the vocals on this one, but <laughs> there it is, taking risks. And then... What may be my favorite version of Strange Design I've ever heard? Uh, that's pretty awesome. Come on. I love Strange Design. In each of my cafes, I have a, a little fish quote. In Logan Square, it's feel good, you know, feel good about your hood. And at our Goose Island location is just relax, you're doing fine. Maybe this is me being risky. If I had one song to listen to over and over, maybe it's Strange Design. But I love, I love that song. I love, you know... You know, when you talk about, you know, when you listen to Trey, what he wrote it for and everything like that, uh, it just... I I don't know uh, that story. uh, He wrote it when his daughter was born. 
for, I can't remember if his daughter is born or she was about to be born. Don't ask me which daughter. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a fish nerd at all. And I just think, you know, especially like now with my kids, we're all on this ride. And, you know, I love like, you know, can you bring a few companions on this ride? I mean, it's just, I mean, I, that song is just amazing. segment they get off their instruments entirely they play or they sing sweet adeline completely a cappella. what a treat yeah you know the great thing that i also loved about this and bringing my uh lady into fish a little bit more is her dad uh her dad um uh was in a uh um, acapella group and so she absolutely absolutely loved that these four dudes and one in a dress is singing acapella sweet adeline I mean, if you don't love them, if you didn't love them before, you love them now. <laughs> yeah. They'll find some way to bring you in. Yeah. And they close the whole set with David Bowie. And just like Fish, that they start with something crazy and weird, you know, and after an acoustic, like nice chill out, right in the heart of the second set, by the way, let's not forget, when people are expecting to have their faces melted. They decide mm-hmm. to play Waste Train Songs and Strange Design and Sweet Adeline acapella or acoustic. You know, when most people are like, whatever they took, it's peaking right here. <laughs> and so <laughs> whatever it is, it's that's when it's coming on. And they take all this kind of like bare bones down to earth music, but then they close with their most progressive jam rock song that they have. You got to love a good Bowie. Yeah, I mean, that was great. I mean, why? how could you not go nuts after that? And that closes the set. And for the encore, they come on with the encore, Sleeping Monkey and Rocky Top. I didn't look it up, but I have a feeling that these are the two most played songs for encores. I mean, what a combo. I mean, that's like, you know, there's all these telltale signs of what songs that fish encores with um, and other songs, too. If you're getting an encore, Sleeping Monkey, Rocky Top, and you're throwing some elbows at the end. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I like I said, I love a good hoedown. Uh, it's one of my favorite parts about fish. You, you know, you just experienced an amazing show like that, that. Like if you don't know what you know what I mean, if you weren't sure, you know, I don't know how this show was or not. Not that I was like or most anybody in the venue was, but in other shows, if you know you're getting a sleepy monkey Rocky Top, you know that you just saw something pretty amazing. So Josh Millman, owner and founder of Passion House Coffee, thank you so much for coming on to Attendance Bias, going over this show, August 13th, 96 at Deer Creek, bringing us back in time for a peak year of fish. I've been convinced. I've been converted. 
But before we uh, sign off here, remind us again about Passion House, the website, the brick and mortar, and the first ever attendance bias discount code. Go for it. The floor once again is yours. Only me, man. Um, <laughs> yeah. Websites, passionhousecoffee.com. Uh, we have a cafe. In, if you're in Chicago, come look at us. Uh, check us out at our Logan Square location or our location on the actual island of Goose Island. Or come visit me at our roastery in East Garfield Park. Uh, if you want, if you're not in Chicago and you love to try us, I would be so grateful and humbled that you had just gave us an opportunity and appreciate any support. Use the free shipping code Voltron, V-O-L-T-R-O-N, Voltron. And ultimately, man, I just like, thanks for reaching out to me and thanks for giving me the opportunity. Thanks for amusing me. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I really appreciate it. And, um, you know, I'll keep my fingers crossed that you get that Tila someday. And that's it for today's episode with Josh Millman about Fish's show at Deer Creek on August 13th, 1996. To make sure we got everything right before we leave, it's now time for the attendance bias fact check. Attendance bias fact check. Josh's first show was on June 18, 1994, at the UIC Pavilion in Chicago, an all-time great legendary show that features one of the best versions of David Bowie ever played. Josh mentioned that a box set was released, and the set contains the full recordings of the June 18th show, as well as the show on November 25th, both from 1994. Josh then mentioned that he went to Jerry Garcia's final Grateful Dead show. To be sure, the date of that concert was July 9th, 1995 at Soldier Field in Chicago. I mistakenly said that it was August 9th, 1995, which was the date of Jerry Garcia's death a month later. Josh brought up a head shop called The Parking Lot that used to be in Evanston, Illinois. There is not much evidence online of the store, but there is a Facebook group called The Parking Lot Cyberspace with people actively posting and sharing memories of the store. So that's nice. When reviewing Fish's 1996 calendar year, I mentioned the band's secret show in Bearsville, New York. That was on June 6, 1996 at a bar called Joyous Lake in Woodstock, New York. It was during the time when Fish was finishing up Billy Breathes, and they decided to play a show at the bar under the name Third Ball. The band played two full sets, and a soundboard recording was released soon after the show was played. The show he mentioned in Amsterdam that had the sort of yes and no's third set was played on July 12th, 1996 at the Melkweg, and it was covered on this podcast with guest Jeff Somar. That episode aired on February 3rd, 2021. The M show that Josh refers to in 1996 was played on November 15th at the Kiel Center in St. Louis. The entire second set was made up of songs that either began with the letter M or had the letter M as a key word in the song title. The set list of set two was Makasupa Policeman, Maze, McGrupp, Split Open and Melt, The Man Who Stepped Into Yesterday, Avenu Malkenu, My Mind's Got a Mind of Its Own, Mike's Song, Sleeping Monkey, Mean Mr. Mustard, and then they closed the whole set with Weekapaw Groove. Toward the end of the set, Trey thanked the band and said that the set was, quote, brought to you by the letter M and the number 420. As mentioned, John Popper came out to play harmonica on Weekapog and then the encore of Funky Bitch. In that same segment, Josh name-checked the shows at Detroit and Assembly Hall. Assembly Hall was played at the University of Illinois on November 8, 1996, and the Detroit show was the next night on November 9th at the Palace in Auburn Hills. And finally, I was frustrated to no end when I mentioned that Sleeping Monkey and Rocky Top had to be the two most encored songs in Fish's history. I thought a minute after we were done recording, I suppose First Tube and Tweezer Reprise had to be somewhere in there as well since 1996, but despite my best efforts, I could not find statistics for the most encored song in Fish history. And that's it for today's episode. I'd like to thank Josh Millman of Passion House Coffee for joining me today. That's passionhousecoffee.com, fish.net for their help with the fact check, and fish.in for the recording used in today's episode. If you enjoy Attendance Bias, please support the show by leaving a rating and a review of it on your favorite podcast app. And follow Attendance Bias on social media, mostly Instagram and Twitter. Reach out, say hello, and I'll send you a free sticker. Thank you again so much for listening, and I'll see you next week on Attendance Bias.